Coming at you live on Ustream and by podcast at d20radio.com. This is the Order 66 podcast, brought to you by mapsofmastery.com. Greetings and salutations again, programs. This is the 23rd of January, 2011, and you are back for episode number 127 of the Order 66 podcast. I am GM Dave, and along with me, as always, the brains of this particular operation, GM Chris. What is up, Gamer Nation? I don't feel brainy. Well, you know... Uh, we, do you know why I don't feel brainy? Uh, because you got your brain sucked out of your ear. Because I was anticipating the Jets to actually uh, beat the Steelers. Yeah, so was I, based on the tweet that I sent earlier. Yeah, but uh, third quarter, looking like it ain't going to happen. No. Looking like it ain't going to happen. I, what I was really hoping for was the Bears to win so that Old School could have one of his teams here. Because, you know. He's going to be here in two weeks. True that. But the Bears faltered today, too, unfortunately. Oh, well. Oh, well. It happens. It happens to the best of us. It does. And speaking of the best of us, uh, for those who might be tuning in for the very first time, this is, of course, the best uh, Star Wars Saga Edition podcast. Uh, <coughs> <existence>. Only. <coughs> because we're the only Star Wars Saga Edition <laughs> podcast in existence. This is the Order 66 podcast. And uh, gosh, well, we have a good show. You know, for if you count the official Watsy podcast that had two episodes, never mind. We're still the best. We're still the best. I am sticking to it. I'm sticking <laughs> to it. At some point, quantity will exceed qu- qu- quality. <laughs> I've yet to see that yet. When we get to when we get to 300 episodes, I'll feel comfortable just like like doing an episode where I do nothing but like fart into the mic, and that'll be it. And be like, ah, it was the greatest episode ever. That's right. Yeah. Quantity beats quality <laughs> every time. <laughs> right? Yeah. Precisely. So anyway, yeah, it's a beautiful Sunday afternoon here in Dallas. Evening. Yeah, we're a little bit later than normal due to other factors, but uh, old school time. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. That's all right. You know, this is uh, this is our normal time from way back when. So, from hey, back in the day. Back in the day. That's right. Sunday mornings just didn't work out this time around, and you know, it is what it is, and it will be what it will be, and whatever. So, yeah. But on with the show. Accessing. Ah, good. New acquisition. Greetings, Gamer Nation. My designation is KCK Sim, and this is your Hollow News Net update. (laughs) 
Fantastic. Precisely. <laughs> Indeed. All right, so we have a featured podcast this week. And we return to an old standby of the D20 Radio Network. One excellent podcast with two of the greatest hopes. I meant to hopes. say hosts. <laughs> they're, they're the hopes of they're, us they are hosts. The, they are the hopes of all of us hosts that we just hope to aspire to greatness like these guys. Anyway, they are just, what would you say, slavishly devoted to their game? I would think so. Um. We're not talking about Order 66, though. No, although we are slavishly devoted to uh, this game. We are. However, we're talking about Small But Vicious Podcast. Of course. Old school and Shibuda. Yeah. So, what are they up to these days, Budro? Uh, well, where they carry their love of the Warhammer Fantasy RPG into uh, their most recent episode, episode 38, uh, Ladies for the Night. Uninitiated, ladies for the night of the uninitiated. That's it. <laughs> that's, the, that's the one. Um, basically, they take a look at the, at the camp follower career, uh, which is a career in, in the um, in the RPG, which is you know for people like basically for soil doves and other peddlers who follow soldiers around. You know. Ah, uh, yeah, I've heard about that. Yes, yes, yes. A very soil dovey episode, uh, but great episode because they also have a special discussion on how to best introduce uh, Warhammer Fantasy RPG to brand spanking new players for the first time, and even to those who have never RPG'd before. Um, great advice from a great show, and good for, for lots of systems. So uh, check it out. Dude, man, that's awesome. So where can they find uh, uh, that podcast, uh, our listeners, uh, along with many others uh, well, that might pique their interest? Every once in a while, we have a good podcast show up on the D20 Radio Network, and you can find that at d20radio.com. Yes, and if you really want to dive in and join the discussion, take a look at the forums, d20radio.com slash forums, and sign up and answer a question. Or ask one. Right. Or read one. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, that. So, you know what? We did a show last week, which means we only have to do one Star Wars Wednesdays. Dude. Tell me about this week's juicy bit of web goodness. How about that? Sterling Hershey back again laying down more great advice for GMs and players the world over this or any system at all, ever, in the history of the yeah. world. Huh? Um, this time around, he's giving us tips and tricks for successfully running a long-term published campaign, the kind that takes months and months or years for a group to complete. There's quite a few out there, and the decision for a group to run one can be, you know, really kind of a sticky proposition. So uh, Sterling proposes the tough questions for the game master and the group to ask themselves and provides his experience and advice to help you make it truly epic. Sweet. Yeah. So take a look for that at sterlinghershey.com. And, oh, yeah. man, I think that'll be fantastic. It is. Lots of good stuff there. Lots of good stuff. Yep. There. I, love, I love going to Sterling's blog. It's tasty. <laughs> um, and speaking of tasty, God, I, I'm, what's up with me and all the, like, awful segues? So far, I'm two for two at awful segues so far. Um, speaking of tasty, 
Um, the, the deliciousness keeps coming uh, and will continue to keep coming Saturday, February 5th, baby. Oh, I, I don't know anything about that. Oh, you don't? I'm, I'm shocked. It must have been a surprise. I'm shocked and amazed. Um, because it's your 40th birthday, and oh, we're yeah. going to have a celebration. Yeah, that, that's it. A big celebration. It's a celebration. Uh, it's a celebration. Basically, D20 Radio Mini Con, Saturday, February 5th, at Reaper Minis in Denton, Texas. We're going to play from noon until they kick us the hell out. <laughs> Pretty much. Big props to the Reaper guys for letting us host there, um, putting us up in all their goodness. Um, but we're going to have board games and RPGs, and it, it's going to be great. Um, I'm bringing Saga stuff to run if anyone wants to play Saga. Um, and I'm also going to bring, uh, I've been, I've, it's been requested that I bring Aug. For those who are not familiar with Aug Unearthed Edition, um, go check it out online. It's probably the most funny, interesting role-playing game, uh, rules light and very humorous that I've ever had the pleasure of reading. Yeah, it's fun. Um, and we're going to run minis and board games. It's going to be just epic. So that's right. Fantasmic. If you guys are going to be in the DFW area, be there. Saturday before Super Bowl. Do it. Do it. Do it. Indeed. So, all right. That's all the that's all the news that's fit to print. So let's enter Actually, the docking I, bay. I've or got, wait, you got, got one more. Do you really? I forgot to put on the show notes. I got one more. So, um, friend of the show and uh, uh, face of Starkiller, uh, Mr. Sam Whitworth. Ah, uh, yes. If you missed it, you're going to get another chance at it tomorrow. That's correct. Um, so if you, he finally, basically, he, you know, he's he's been in television quite a bit, but he finally got his own show on Sci-Fi, uh, which is the the U.S. adaptation of the very popular BBC series Being Human. Now, I I intentionally did not watch the BBC series because I didn't want my view of of the American version tainted. Um, having watched it and seeing how good the first episode was, I have a hard time believing that they tainted anything. And then I've talked to folks that have seen the British version. They're like, okay, no, I I was worried too, but they've done a phenomenal job so far and I can't wait to see the next episode. Um, but, uh, episode one ended on a cliffhanger. And so they're, they're re-airing it tomorrow, Monday night. Um, 7 uh, PM Eastern or yeah, uh, seven, yeah, 7 PM Eastern. Um, that's January 24th. And then the second part, episode two, will be at the normal time slot of 8 p.m. Eastern. So sci-fi. check it out on Sci-Fi if you guys haven't. It, so far, the show is rocking. Sci-Fi. 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 So there. That, that's that's my news. I'm sorry. Thank you. Sorry, sorry, sorry for the... Uh, no, that, that's okay because I meant to say the same thing and I forgot. See? You see. know, I mean, Sam would kill us, but... He would. Yeah. With a lightsaber. With... A lightsaber for the win. D20 docking bay hosers. When it don't be making sense, we be making sense of it. This episode of the D20 Docking Bay is brought to you by um, um, Mustafar's Moose Gel. Yes, Mustafar's Moose Gel. You can gel your moose with the lava-iest lava gel at this side of uh, the Kessel Run. Right. 
See, that was entirely ad lib right there. That was gold. <laughs> I bet he couldn't tell. Bet you couldn't <laughs> tell. Bet you couldn't tell. All right, D twenty docking bay. Peep this. Docking. Holmes. Holmes. So we answer your questions. Send in to us by email, voicemail, uh, PM, or or forum post. And or? we get a, we get a lot of them. Yeah, I mean we do. What what is up? Why are we so disjointed all of a sudden? It's not like we've been haven't been doing this for three years. Um, we just had are, a lot of little are, trips are here. Dis, are we disjointed? Yes. I don't know. I disagree. Mm. I think this is the best episode we've ever done so far. Oh, nice. Yeah, of course. Best episode ever. Best episode ever. Epis- Look at that. We've already got a title in the chat room. Episode 124. <laughs> 127. Mustafar's Moose Gel. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Oh, wow. That's greatness. Anyway, yeah. Forum post, what? Did you cover the loser line? The loser yes, line. Yes, voicemail. Uh, you can, of course, leave us a voicemail at 206-600-5872. Loser! L-U-S-A. Yep. Email right. us, GM Chris at gmdave at d20radio.com. Yep. Or, so, get, get to the forums, d20radio.com slash forums. Yep. So what do we got, dude? All right. So here we go. GM Bo. GM Bo Jangles. Mr. Bo Jangles. GM Bo here. This past week writes up uh, this deal on the forums. So, quick question regarding use the force checks and activation of force powers. Mm-hmm. Do you allow aid another on use the force checks? If so, does the character who is helping out needs need to be trained in use the force or even more specifically the particular force power in question? It comes up in the game I'm running where three PCs are likely going to try to mind trick their way past the security checkpoint. All are trained in use the force. Only one has mind trick so in a word you can answer this in a word uh that word is yes <laughs> all right great next question um the oh uh, blah, blah, blah. okay hold on why is it yes um they can't attempt to aid another in this fashion the, the rules for aid another for those following along detailed on page 151 of the core rule book Ooh, Bacardi, woohoo! and then elaborated further for skill checks on page 61 uh but Here's the thing. Use the Force is a tricky skill uh, with some unusual rules for it. After all, not everyone can make a Use the Force check. You've got to have Force sensitivity. But if you are able to make the check, you should then be able to aid another with it. Um, and since you're not the one activating the Force power bow, you uh, don't need to know it. Now, do the aiders need to be trained? This is a good question. I, I've never seen anything that said they had to, they did or did not. I, exactly. I mean, okay, so, so if somebody tries to aid another on a mechanics check, do they have to be trained in mechanics? Well, no, but that, that's actually an errata. <laughs> um, and, and so, I mean, and this is, um, so that's the thing, because when, when the book was first released, like, there is no use of mechanics that you can make that is not trained only. For every use of mechanics, you have to be trained, Okay. So, the devs had to call out, whoa, 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 if you want to aid, you don't have to be trained. They actually had to call that out. Okay. Um, but use the force is different. There are plenty of non-trained uses. Um, as such, just with me, I would rule it if you want to aid another in a trained-only use, such as activating a force power, you got to be trained yourself. Um, that makes sense to me, considering how esoteric use the force is. Um, well, in your specific situation, this means that the two who are trained in use of the force can indeed aid the third on activating mind trick. Just make sure it's done properly, of course. They, they do have to aid him before he makes his own check. 
which will require two standard actions on their parts. Um, how do you? Because so here, here's a good question, Dave. How do you? How do you explain aiding another on a use the force check? How? I mean, if they don't know the force power, you know what I mean. Well, I mean, with a mechanics check, it may, you know, hey, I can get I can get a tool in there and, and hold this, you know, torque wrench while you ratchet the bolt, you know, and, and whatever. How, how do you? Right. How do you, from a role playing perspective? explain uh, from a descriptive perspective explain them aiding a use the force check the only way i've been able to come up with that makes any sense to me is more of a psychological factor i could okay. i could give you some bs about oh i'm transferring some metachlorians out of my body into yours <laughs> uh, no no more along the lines of um centering Helping him center with the force, or something along those lines. You know, psych him up, whatever it is. Help him. I like I like where you're going you because know? if these two guys are trained, they, they know what it means to be trained with the force, right? Right. So I mean, like you know, re- re- remember your meditation cadence, you know, or remember yeah, your, or, or, yeah. Put it in D and D terms. You know, you're helping the wizard with his uh, incantation or whatever, right? Yeah. I mean, whatever. You know, there's plenty of ways you can do it from a role playing perspective. Just do it right. Yeah. Don't do something stupid. Correct. Right. So, good question, Bo. Thank you. Yeah. All right. Next question. We have a voicemail. Oh. From Darth Pseudonym. And uh, this came in to us, um, I think, after I went on a rant about the other one being too long. Then he shortened it down to very nice, nice length. I uh, was very quite impressed by it. And therefore, I shall uh, play it for you uh, now. Hi, this is Darth Pseudonym. So I was looking at the Borg Construct cybernetic upgrade from Galaxy at War. It says you can plug data cards into it. I'm not sure why I'd want that unless a loaded data card is used to get the plus two skill bonus that's at GM's discretion. But it also mentions you can use proprietary knowledge cartridges, which cost ten times more than a normal card and have intelligence four instead of two. What's the point of that? Uh, Bringing up the slicing BC from 11 to 12? Computers and starships benefit from higher intelligence, but what difference does it make to a data card? Yeah. Good so question. Uh, well, um, for those who may be curious, the Borg Construct uh, Cybernetic Implant, page 49 of a Galaxy at War. Um, basically, it, you've got a computer in your head, <laughs> basically. And the whole data card thing, that's really a kind of, that's a nice perk. The main nice feature of this bad boy is that you can, you can network to a computer within 10 meters via your brain remotely. You, you can remotely program and access the onboard data of a system through your thoughts. Okay, huh. that, that, that's awesome. Um, huh. Now, to his question, you can, of course, as it calls out, it's got four slots to put data cards in. So if you want to be able to access data you know, in your brain without having to pull it up on a computer monitor, really great for uh, smugglers or slicers on the go. Uh, but they, they call out these knowledge cartridges, which he mentions, which use this proprietary technology. Um, and as a result, they have an intelligence of four instead of two, which is what it is for the, the, the standard data card. So they, they cost 100 credits as opposed to 10. Why pay that much more for two extra points of intelligence? Um, two very important reasons. One, yeah, you up the slicing DC by one. That doesn't sound like a really big deal pseudonym, uh, but it can make a real difference for a hardcore slicer. But more importantly, sir, if you will turn to your core rule book, page 77, at the bottom of the use computer skill under the special section, remember, 
you gain an equipment bonus on all used computer checks made with a computer equal to its intelligence bonus as long as the computer is friendly or helpful towards you. And I would hope your onboard computer would be. So you're not just paying for a harder-to-slice system. You're paying for a plus one to your used computer check with that card. So, um, again, it's a plus one. What do you do? Is it worth an extra 90 credits? I don't know. But uh, those are the two benefits it provides. Wow. Yeah, along with the danger of wanting to assimilate all those around you. (laughs) Sorry. Yeah, the name Borg Construct... um, Obviously, this is a piece of technology from the EU. Uh, yeah, obviously. Just poor, poor naming convention, in, in my humble opinion. That's all right. Just we finally, finally have the tie between Star Trek and Star Wars that everyone is asking for. <laughs> yep. Finally. Yep. Absolutely. So as we go boldly into uh, new territory, Sneaky Arrow has a... Uh, question for us here um he's laid us he he's laid it out before you know in a previous episode about his quest to make a tiny droid companion for his mechanic character do you remember i do so uh follow-up question he says to be uh to be an able mechanic how many and what kind of appendages should my tiny droid have or need does he just need a claw appendage and a toolkit, or at least a hand? Would having multiple appendages make him faster, slower? I don't think there's anything on that, but it just seems that a droid with three hands and two toolkits would be faster at repairing than a droid with just a tool. Or you're you're a tool. What? That's where I was going to go. Where? <laughs> okay. Um, well, honestly, for a droid working as a mechanic, you really don't need a lot. Um, n- n- not every use of mechanics requires a toolkit. I mean, handling explosives, jury rigging, regulating power, recharging shields, these can all be done without any equipment whatsoever. Um, and disabled device uh, requires a completely separate tool, the security kit. Now, in the films, Dave, we, we see R2-D2 do a lot of stuff with really nothing more than the toolkit appendages, you know, a scomp link and a single claw. That's all he's got. Yeah. Um, the rules are silent, Sneaky Arrow, on, on what appendages you might need. And I, I do think it's incumbent on the player and the GM to use their common sense. If your droid has a toolkit on a tool mount, a claw, and a scomp link, as a GM, I, I, I would have zero issue with that droid attempting nearly any use of mechanics. I mean, the toolkit... That's self-explanatory. The claw would let you open panels and hatches. The scomp link will let you interface with the ship so you could recharge shields, regulate power. Um, but it's going to be situational, man. I mean, what? I mean, if you're going to try and repair a derelict salvage ship, in my opinion, that's going to require some arms <laughs> to, to lift hull plating and heavy pieces of equipment into place, you know, things like that. So you might be making the check, but you might need some help, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, I don't know. I think that your GM and, and you, Arrow, will have to take it as it comes. I mean, to, to perform every aspect of mechanics, you also might want a second tool appendage with a security kit attached. Um, although law enforcement might take issue with why your little droid has a set of lockpicks installed on it. Just, just saying. Um, you know. As for having multiple toolkits and multiple appendages equaling faster work, it just don't work that way. Um, one, for mechanical balance reasons. And of course, because... 
Despite the number of arms the droid has, it only has one processor, one brain. Dave, if I grafted 12 arms onto your torso and I put a hammer in each one of your hands, you won't be able to hammer a dozen nails at once. <laughs> you got one brain, you got one set of eyes, and you must concentrate on one task at a time. And the same goes for droids. Yeah, I suppose you're right. Hmm? I don't know. Well, what do you think, man? Do you think, um, I mean, droid brains are a little more, um, well, they're, they're faster. They're a little more mechanically precise than organic brains, some of them. Um, I mean, what do you think, man? Do you think a drawer with multiple appendages or multiple toolkits should be able to repair faster? I'll answer your question with a question. Do I get to shoot faster if I have two guns out? Oh. See what he just did there? Analogy. Wow. <laughs> Bam. That, that just happened. I think that answers that. Yep. As we move on to Scouza. Scouza! Yeah. All right, interesting question here about uh, treating the most extreme of injuries. He says, I have a simple question for you concerning the quick skill feat and the treat injury skill. I have started a Dawn of Defiance game with my sons, and one of the characters is a Mon Calamari noble called Silbar, but usually called Fishface by my son. Solid. Yeah. Who acts as a medic for the party. He is trained in treat injury and also has skill focus in it, which, with his wisdom bonus and everything else, gives him a plus 13 as a second level noble. Not bad. Nice. The treat injury skill use of Revivify is a DC 25, but you get a plus 2 bonus if you use a med pack. So if Silbar here takes the quick skill feat from KOTOR, page 34, the KOTOR book. When he becomes third level, does this mean he'll never fail in this situation again? Quick skill says you can take 10 when rushed. Would it count here? Also, on the subject of Revivify, it says you must take a full round. Okay, so... Yeah. Um... Okay, so you have to take a full round, and you have to reach the creature within one round of its death to even try. Does this mean you have one round to reach it, and then another round to revive it? This seems to be the only way to make it work in my mind. So, yeah, long questions, lots of stuff in there. Yeah, but good question. And by the way, Skousa, kudos to you for running a game for your boys, man. Keep it going, keep it strong. That'd be um, awesome, awesome, awesome. It's awesome. Let's talk about the feat in question first. Uh, quick skill, page 34, KOTOR campaign guide. Uh, cool feat. Uh, it lets you, once an encounter, take 10 on a skill check, any skill check, even when rushed, or take 20 in half the time normally required. So, yeah, once an encounter, you can use this feat to take 10 on a treat injury check, even if you're rushed, um, ensuring that you roll a 10, always. Now, keep in mind, this does nothing about the threatened condition. Even with this feat, you still cannot take 10 in the middle of a firefight. All right, But you can take 10 when you're being rushed and the chances of failure are dire, which is when the GM would normally decline letting you take 10 as well. So after combat, <laughs> when you're rushing to save a dying character, for example, that's when it would come into play. So now we come to the crux of your question, the Revivify option of treat injury. Rev- Revivify. 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 Uh, I feel like James Brown. Hey. Uh, good go. Go revive the fire. Sit down. Yeah. 
Uh, this is a little used option of treat injury, um, mostly because it's so hard to pull off and because it honestly it really gets to that point. Um, it lets you attempt, as you say, a DC 25 treat injury check as a full round action to bring back to life someone who has died within the last round. Furthermore, you must have a full medical kit to do it. Not a, necessarily a med, you're not a med pack, but you must have a full medical kit. And if you also have a med pack on hand, you get a plus two to your check. Now, you are correct, Scouse, and that quick skill with a plus two bonus from the med pack will let you take 10 and get that insanely high DC 25 needed at mere second level for your character. Uh, but realize that Revivify relies a lot more on other factors which are a lot harder to pull off. One, you've got only a single round to do this after the character dies. Okay. Two, you have to have two pieces of equipment out and ready to use before you begin the full round action a medical kit, and a med pack to get that plus two bonus. And three, dude, it's really hard to die in this game. <laughs> a character pretty much has to be out of force points, okay? And then, if it happens, you got one round to pull out two pieces of equipment, which is two move actions, and then get to the target, which is at least another move action. So usually by the time you do all this, your one round time limit has passed. Meh. So when does this really come in handy? A botched surgery. Surgery is nasty, nasty business if you mess it up, Scousa, as the damage that it causes on a botch can outright kill the person you're trying to save. But if you've got a med kit and a med pack on hand, you can spend the round after death dropping your surgery kit as a swift action, picking up the med pack and the med kit as two move actions, and the next round, you can start that Revivify check. It'll only have been one round since their death, so you start the check. It'll take a full round. If you succeed, you will bring them back to life. Back to life. Live, minion, live. <laughs> back to reality. Yes. All so, right. So we're going to stop down here for about five minutes because this is an <laughs> extra long version of the Fat Rancontour. Oh, we've been without it for a little while, so um, yeah. I, I think you made up for it. The species menagerie. Yay! Mm, yes, indeed. All right, so here we go. I'm the Fat Raconteur, and this is the fifth installment of my Species Menagerie, where we bring species from around the galaxy and study them mercilessly for your gaming needs. Our next species is as intellectually stimulating as it is physiologically fascinating. On this venture, we will be taking a close study at the Sluissi. Found on page 14 of the Unknown Regions, these perpetually calm and controlled reptilians have a great tradition of technology and mechanical mastery being one of the few species that was able to discover light-speed travel on their own. At their very core, they are tinkerers, who greatly enjoy pulling apart something and building it again in a superior manner, to the point where it's almost an art form. They are essentially humanoid, with the notable feature that the bottom half of their body is completely snake-like, 
and that most of their physical aspects are angle-line in nature. But down to the facts. Our time-traveling division informs me that the Seleucid can be encountered in any era of play, even earning respect from the Galactic Empire due to their incredible shipbuilding capabilities. Sluissi receive a sharp plus two intelligence at the cost of a minus two to dexterity. With these stats, the Sluissi can fit into many roles quite comfortably, even making a fierce melee combatant if need be. The racial abilities of the Sluissi really make it a one-trick pony in regards to skill, but this pony is going to fly to the moon and back in time for dinner. Not only does the Sluissi receive tech specialist for free as long as you train in mechanics, they have the ability to add plus ten. That's right, plus ten. 10 to any mechanics check as long as you double the time needed to make that check. That means a Sluissi at level 1 with skill-focused mechanics will automatically succeed on installing any tech specialist upgrade as long as you have two days free. Level 1. It seemed easy to walk the mechanical simple path of the Sluissi. And here at the Fat Raconteur Species Menagerie, we're always trying to push the boundaries of role-playing and awesomeness. Recently inspired by the visions of the Force, we realized that an absolute fun character concept would be a Slawissi Jalshe. The calm and intellectual views of the Slawissi are a perfect fit for the Force nerds of the universe. So, we introduce to you Baron Intelligent Force User Von Snake. When starting up this build, a high intelligence and high charisma are essential. Take your levels in Jedi starting with the necessary Force Persuasion. Skill focus and mechanics will be great, and then drink deeply from the cup of tech specialist. From there, it's about putting your charisma to work by adorning the Jalshe talent tree. Some people like to also take their second level in Noble, taking wealth and staying in Noble for their Jalshe talents, in order to rake in the dough and be able to equip their party with nigh-disgusting upgrades at early, early levels at the cost of combat efficiency. With this build, you won't be the main combat attraction, but you will be a sturdy pillar of calm and knowledge that rivals that of the Jedi Council. To be honest, the concept of a force user mechanic seems less than optimum, but it just provides so many great role-playing opportunities and really fits the flavor of the Slawissi. The other racial ability that inspired me as a GM was the Slawissi's Serpentine ability, meaning every jump check gets a running start. I combine this with a die for cover feat to make a delicious encounter. My Sluissi Commandos, as a reaction to range attacks, could make an easy DC-15 jump check, jump three squares into cover, gain a plus five to their reflex defense, then land prone, which added a further bonus against future range attacks. It really shook up my party of snipers and ranged fighters. If you want to convert your threats to Sluissi, I highly recommend it. And here's one I prepared earlier. Defenses, minus one to reflex. Speed, remains at six. HP, remains the same. Attack rolls, minus one to ranged attacks. Skills. Add plus one to all intelligence skills, minus one to deck skills. Then add a trained skill, preferably jump. Add the racial abilities, and Bob's your uncle. Call it a day. If you want to go all out, you can even buy a couple of UNT D&D minis, which do a semi-decent job at embodying the Sluissi. Well, that's it for today. Again, if you have any requests, questions, comments, or flattery, please send it all in a PM to the Fat Raconteur on D20 Radio's forums. And until next time, as we say around here... It doesn't matter if you're black or white. Just don't be Gungan. It don't matter if you're black or white. Thank Just you, Mr. don't Jackson. be a Gungan tonight. <sighs> yeah. God help uh, me never start fan. God help us all. <laughs> yes, indeed. And now it's time for my favorite, favorite of our... Beds. 
I think. Although, you know, my mind changes like the wind blows, but here it is. This is Watto for Watto's Bargain Basement, and I want you to come on down to Tatooine this week for our big special sale. Tell them Java sent you and you get a free chance cube. Uh, we got the deals for you. Come on down to Watto's Bargain Basement. Uh, what do you know? Uh... Yep. You know, I totally forgot I was on live in chat. And, uh... I can't see myself the way this setup is going. Ah. But, uh, you know, it is one of those deals where, anyway, I don't know. So, what did you get at Watto's today, this week? Well, I have a question for you. Yes. Are you falsy or aren't you falsy? Oh, why? Ah. I believe (laughs) that I am falsy. Perhaps you are. Well, I can determine if you are or you aren't forcing. Oh. Because this week, I brought back an unusual and valuable piece of technology for the boys and girls at home and GM Dave, mm. which can help clarify things if your your toddler starts predicting weather with 100% accuracy or moving small objects around the room while he sleeps. Is it perhaps a metachlorian counter? Potentially. That is one variation of this useful device known as the force detector. Oh, um, as one might expect, several technological means of detecting the force in an individual have been developed in a galaxy far, far away. I'm Batman. And uh, force detectors can exist as a variety of devices in many configurations. Um, now, as you point out, Dave, pr- prior to the Clone Wars, I mean, the Jedi Order possessed force detectors they used frequently uh, that measured the midichlorian count in blood samples. Oh. It's kind of how they did it. Um. The Empire, during its heyday, created a simpler model um, using a face and crystals, which would actually glow in the presence of Force users. Oh, kind of like a sword that would be blue in the presence of orcs. Potentially. Right. Very potentially. Sting! Sorry, my Ralph Bakshi. It's forever in my consciousness with that cartoon. Um <laughs> But regardless of configuration, uh, a force detector is a fairly large piece of equipment, about nine kilos, that lets a non-force user easily detect the force in another being. Or lets force users detect the force in someone who's really good at hiding it. <laughs> regardless of how good your use the force check is to avoid being detected, this thing still glows. <laughs> wow. So there you go. Um, using a force detector requires five rounds and a DC-15 used computer check. Um, success, and if the target of the device has the force sensitivity feat, the device will indicate they are force sensitive. <laughs> Pretty simple. Ah, see, that answers that answers old school's question in Echo Base is why why did they miss Leia? Well, because she wasn't force sensitive yet when they captured her on the Death Star. Entirely possible. They, um, uh, you know, entirely possible. They, you know, she could have come into it later. Or they might not have used it on her. I'm just throwing that out there. They may not have. They may not have. Um, the cost for this little doohickey might be a little prohibitive for some. It's 2,000 credits. Uh, but that is actually a paltry sum for a character dedicated to finding fledgling Force users unfailingly. Or weeding out the Force using enemies of their ideology. Force Detector can be found on page 63 of the Jedi Academy Training Manual. Huh. Now, 
you know, the whole force detector thing, man. I mean, look, in the EU, we saw the whole thing with the Thesen crystals and all that. And then when episode one came out, we saw that obviously they had a force detector on board the ship and, you know, the Jedi had it and, you know, Qui-Gon, you know, took the blood sample and transmitted the data off to Obi-Wan and all yeah. that. Yep. Um, I don't know. I, I have a real hard time with force detectors in my game. So do I. Extreme, extreme terribleness. I mean, may- maybe it's because I don't like midichlorians to begin with, and I, I just, I, I don't know. I, I feel that there's something that should be very unknown about the Force. The ability to quantify it in that sense bugs the living heck out of me. Sure. So, I don't know. I'm with you. I can't really give you a good reason. I'm just with you. Yeah. But there it is. And uh, if you would like to be able to detect the Force in your games... And ask the question: Are you falsely or aren't you? Oh, then, uh, uh, it's there, right there, page sixty-three, Jedi Academy training manual. Check uh-huh. it out. And to answer questions about well, other things, we will bring on GM Phil and fragments from the rim. Darth GM, as he's sometimes known, for episode seventy-two of Fragments from the Rim. My lords, welcome to Fragments from the Rim. What is thy bidding, my masters? Good day, Gamer Nation. This is Darth GM with the 72nd installment of Fragments from the Rim. Gonna be putting on my squadron commander hat for this one, folks. It's no secret I'm a huge fan of space battles. I've talked about the X-Wing and TIE Fighter games before, and how I try to incorporate space combat into as many Star Wars campaigns as I reasonably can. One scene I've always liked about Star Wars space battles is watching nimble snub fighters harass and even threaten frigates and cruisers. There's a real sense of accomplishment when you're a David taking down a Goliath. Saga Edition provides us with several highly useful talents for ace pilots that allow starfighters to do something almost unheard of, threaten capital ships. It also allows us to recreate one of my favorite tricks that Rogue Squadron would pull frequently in Mike Stackpole's X-Wing books. First, take Synchronized Fire from page 17 of Starship of the Galaxy. This talent allows two characters to time their next attack so they land at the same time, adding the damage together before applying shields and damage reduction. You have to have the ace pilot talent expert gunner to take this, and it can only be used once per encounter by the character with the talent. Next, take the squadron maneuvers talent from page 18. This talent allows you to share any other ace pilot talent with every member of your squadron. A squadron is defined as a maximum number of ships equal to your charisma bonus plus your ace pilot level. Every fighter in your squadron now has the synchronized fire talent and can double team the opposing capital ship. It says you can only use synchronized fire once per encounter, but you can use it yourself one round and then on the next round be the other character that someone else with synchronized fire teams up with. Get your average PC party of four to six players together, and your torpedoes are punching through shields and armor. You might not take out a Star Destroyer with this tactic alone, but you'll put the fear of destruction into most cruisers, and stand a very good chance of destroying most frigates. Now this combo works best in a game where the majority, if not all, of your players are flying their own ships. You also need to be at least 12th level to have all three of these talents. But what if you're not rolling with level 12 characters and want to pull this off? Game Masters? Simply introduce a squadron leader or veteran pilot NPC with these talents and have them grant synchronized fire to your players. Then, even level 4 and 5 heroes can enjoy the dangers and glory of putting the hurt on capital ships. Time to break formation and head for home, Gamer Nation. Until next time, this is Commander Phil saying, 20 side up, 1 side down. 
You have been listening to Fragments from the Rim and Transmission. I don't believe I authorized the name change. Um, I don't believe that was authorized either. Uh, I'd like to point that out. I'd also like to point out that it's like developer day in the chat room. We have uh, Patrick Stutzman, <laughs> Sterling Hershey, and Jonathan Stevens all in the chat room right now. Dude. So, um, you know, maybe we can ask you guys some rules questions later. Or something like that. Or something like that. However it works. Yo. Yo. So, yeah. Whatever that is. Whatever like that. You're um, rambling. Yeah, you know, I'm I'm twisting I'm twisting and tweaking these dials because uh I'm afraid my audio's clipping, but I won't know that until later. But we'll sounds see. fine to me. We'll see. Um I think it's about time for us to debut my second favorite, which may wind up being my favorite bed, but either way, we're gonna go with this and this will be the meat of the show. Visions of the Force. Ah, yes. Uh, how can you go? How can you go wrong with Clanad? You know, we've said Clanad like eight times in the last six shows. Yeah, I know. Clanad. <laughs> well, I mean, this is just a... This is a track that's utter greatness. It's very good. It's very... You know, it's very... It's, it's, it's just... It's, it's very proper for Visions of the Force. I would agree. And Visions of the Force, for those who've been listening, is our semi-regular segment for the meat of the show where we, um, we talk about more forcey stuff. <laughs> Tonight we are going to continue our journey of exploration, Gamer Nation, a mission to examine the various alternate Force traditions out there in the Star Wars universe. Thanks to the request of many members of the Gamer Nation who have asked us to dig into the various Force traditions outside of the Jedi and the Sith. Um, our goal here is to give you the knowledge you need to make unusual and exciting Force users of any stripe, and today's tradition is certainly an unusual one, um, at least in terms of its common practitioners. Ah, so what is For- it? Deep in the wheel sector of the Outer Rim lies the isolated, windswept, and mountainous world of Thosa, home to the secretive Drathos. It is here we find the Force tradition developed by the Drathos to help them become better hunters, better warriors. It is here we find the tradition of Keytail. 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 I don't know if it's Keytail or Keytal, but... The A-E, like Drathos, is an A sound, so yeah. I'm keeping the A sound. That's, so, I would go with that, too, and that's exactly the way I would have gone. Well, there we go. Key tail. Very, very nice. So, let's start this discussion of the key tail tradition um, by talking uh, a little bit about the Drathos, Dave. The Drathos, Dave. Ancient and unchanging, is that what we're speaking of? The Drathos? The ancient and unchanging Drathos. Mm. Um, I mean, the, the key tale is, is this very loose organization of, of Drathos Force users that really exist primarily to identify Force-sensitive Drathos and train them to become key tale, passing on methods of using the Force in combat that build on 
the Drathos' natural affinities. Um, like the Drathos' order is ancient, and no one knows for sure how it began, but, huh. but to understand the key tale, Dave, we must first understand the Drathos people. So, so, so talk to me about, about the Drathos, man. What do, we, what do we know about them? The Drathos species. I would call these um, odd-looking humanoids. Yeah. They are a bluish gray with a scaly skin, webbed fingers that end with claws. So, you know, they're little mini humanoid Loch Ness Monster guys. <laughs> okay. But perhaps the most notable feature that they have is a lipless mouth with an upper row of teeth on the outside of the jaw. They look like fire victims, man. That's they not look, very they nice. They look jacked up. <laughs> that is just not very nice. No, it's not. They've evolved from a uh, cave-dwelling ancestors, and uh, the Drathos are noted for long lives, tough hides, and their ability to see in low light. Oh, yeah, and the natural telepathy that the race seems to possess. Yeah. If you want to check them out, they're statted up on page 12 of the KOTOR campaign guide. True that. And I would uh, invoke Sting right now and say, um, don't stand so, don't stand so close to me. <laughs> uh, when, when describing their society and culture, because the Drathos are extremely xenophobic. Extremely. They shun outsiders, relish the fact that their world is relatively unknown to most. And in fact, they take significant strides to keep it that way. Even among themselves, Drathos are solitary in both communication and in action. So they dislike conversation and debate. They prefer to keep their, their thoughts to themselves, which is hard with telepathy. Well, yeah. Um, but they're traditionalists to the core, and they follow millennia millennia-old codes of conduct, a clan structure, and methods of combat. So rarely will Adrathos ever step out of the expected norm. Mm. Yeah. So, so, so talk to me a little bit about that, that tradition then. I mean, what are we... What are the what are the Drathos prize? What are they about? Oh, uh, you know what? They have a, a great value of... Uh, on the on the art of what they would call an art of hunting and warfare. So, Mama says, "Knock you out." <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, LL Cool J. No problem. Uh, they do use blasters and advanced melee weaponry. Um, it's you know this weaponry is is used by all. hasn't changed much over the millennia, and uh, has had a big impact on. Uh, a key tale uh, tradition. Notably aggressive, especially in the, in the manner of, of honor to oneself and, and others, and uh, especially their clan, the Drathos, I guess, what would you say? They, they find younger, faster culture, cultures and alien species uh, downright offensive. Pretty much, yeah. Yeah, and so couple that with their aggressive tendencies... Um, most outsiders that are willing to brave their xenophobia don't last very long. <laughs> Not generally, no. No. So, so, 
Okay, so you've painted a good picture for me of, of the Drathos people and where they come from. And, and this really will help us set up our, our talk about, about the key tale. Um, so the key tale themselves, I mean, they, they, they're very few in numbers. I mean, they only have a few hundred really at any time. Um, most key tale also, I mean, in terms of, of the state of them and how they act in their own culture, they don't reveal, generally speaking, that they are members of the order to other Drathos, and, and certainly not to outsiders. I mean, the Ketail actually teach this practice of, of don't tell anyone you're a Ketail to their initiates, encouraging them not to broadcast their abilities. Um, but th- this really isn't due to any prejudice or, or fear of the force use, which we find on a lot of cultures. Um, but it, it is a, a decision that's willfully made for one very important reason. And c- considering what you know about their culture, Dave, what would you suggest that reason would be? Um, to hide. <laughs> for the purpose, yeah, but I for mean, the purpose of of combat. Yeah, I mean, underestimating, you know, if your foes don't know anything about you, you know, if you've hidden your abilities from them, you're going to be underestimated. Exactly. You know, it, so it's, it's, it's the idea of having a leg up on your enemies. Right. Um, and that's the only reason why. Uh, now, within the Ketal order itself, they have really no hierarchy, no structure. I mean... Nothing aside from the prestige granted by just mere raw experience, and Drathos are very long-lived. Um, now, due to those long lives, the, the oldest members of the Keytail, they, they've been at it for a long time. And at that point, they're, they're known to be Keytail. Okay, you know, okay, I've seen you kick some dudes' butts with the Force. I know you're a Force user, okay. Um, at that point, they, they really become sort of masters in the Order, and, and they go out and, and start finding initiates. And an old Keytail master may have trained hundreds or thousands of initiates in his lifetime because they're so long-lived. Um, that's very cool. Hmm. Now, recruitment into the order, when they find an initiate, I mean, like the, the experienced Keytail whose, whose abilities are known, again, will, will often journey far and wide once that cat's out of the bag to, to recruit new initiates. And when they discover a Force-sensitive, they'll, they'll bring them into this ritualized hunt known as an Ubi-Tel. And uh, several initiates will travel with this master, often for weeks or months during this hunt, um, into the dangerous wilds of Thosa on this series of just long, ritualized hunting practices, where during that time, they'll be taught how to use their abilities by hunting very dangerous, nasty creatures. Um, these these hunts, these ubitel, they have no set schedule. They occur pretty much when they need to. Sometimes they take place years apart. Um, and basically, as for an initiate, after many ubitel... Um, if you're an initiate who who has finally been judged to be fully trained by other experienced members of the Kitail, uh, they'll grant you membership. Nice. So when they go out looking, do they have a force detector? <laughs> one would one would say probably not. Huh. Just throwing that out there. Just just throwing it out there. Throwing that out there. So okay, talk to me more about about the Kitail's equipment, their 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 appearance. Their talk to me about the trappings of the Kitail. I mean, I mean, what do they use? How are they identified? Well, I would say that <clears throat> due to their conscious decision not to broadcast what they are, they're um, they're small, in yeah. a word, in a word. Um, so, upon entry into the order, uh, graduated initiate is given a small silver disc, to which. The information, everything you learn will be encoded on this disc. 
If you should lose your disc, you are subject to immediate de-resolution. Oh, wait, never mind, sorry. Wrong, <coughs> wrong, wrong pop culture reference. Dang it, son of a gun. All right, so, okay, get back into it. Once they get into the order, uh, a graduated initiate has a small silver disc thing that they're given. It has the order's symbol on one side and the engraved names and signatures of the masters who trained him in the order on the other. Um, so, I mean, do they have to pin it on their chest? Do they have to it, it, well, send it to other That's other the thing. There's, there's no use. There's no real use for it. They don't use it. They don't need it. it. It's truly a keepsake, if you will. And so keeping it, displaying it, displaying it, it's not a requirement. They could even destroy it if they wanted to. Oh, wow, okay. File okay. 13 if they wanted, you know. Okay, so they, do they use some, like, crazy, like, like cool weapon unique to the Force tradition? Do they whip out, like, a Wan Chi or, a, 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 like, a, like, a big honking lightsaber or something or, uh, you know? No. No. No, they just use the same old stuff. I mean, they don't use lightsabers. They don't use any other un- unusual weaponry. No shoto, shoto, nothing like that. All right, so keeping with the warfare traditions of their clans, all right, think Force-sensitive Klingon here. They use the same blasters and blades as any other Drathos. Got it. All right, their Force abilities are designed to enhance the use of these weapons. Got it. So, I mean... Literally, you could be nose-to-nose talking to a Ketel master and not have a clue that you are. It's not, like they're, it. it's not like they're walking around with the brown robes. I got it. Okay. 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 Uh, I'm with it. I'm with it. So, now that we have this knowledge, let's talk about what, what makes you a Ketel. I mean, as a, as a member of the Ketel order, you, you, you do follow some rather rigid practices, but... But these seem to be more the result of your culture than actually your order. I mean, yeah. uh, you know, but you, you are set apart, though, in, in some ways. I mean, talk to me about, about the basic philosophy of the key tale. I mean, what is their, their basic philosophy? You know, the funny thing is when you look at it, they really just solely exist, the, key, this, the order, the key tale. They exist... To simply identify and strengthen themselves and their own members through the Force. And then, as a part of that, they also uphold the traditions of the Drathos. And that's where a lot of their restrictions come in, right? In the clan life that they've lived for countless millennia. Yeah. Right? But but any Drathos really would follow this. I mean, Force-sensitive or no. Right. So, So, you know, I mean... it's, It's what? It's like Drathos times two... Yeah. Drathos, it, with extra force crunch power. That's right. See, Drathos, new and improved. Got that's, it. That's, yeah, I mean, basically you're a Drathos with a shot of steroids. Got it. You know, I um, mean, you don't, have any, you don't have any unusual weaponry to set you right. apart. You've got your disc, which you may or may not have, you know, on you or displayed or whatever. And I would, I would almost guarantee you most do not. If they're role-playing properly, you're yeah. not going to display it. Absolutely. No no ceremonial robe, none of that junk. Right, because your ultimate goal is not to be seen as a key tail. Right? Your enemies won't know the power you possess. I mean, if you walk in, you know, like Flava Flav with a clock around his neck, right, and you've got this big old disc, you know, proudly displaying, hey, I'm a key tail. And then all of a sudden these guys are like, oh, key tail in the house. 
Jedi by the looks of him. You know. Yes. So, yeah, exactly. So, I don't know, dude. What, um, what, I have a fundamental question for you. What, if any, do they take as a view on good, bad, light, dark, you know, do they fall to the dark side of the Force? Do they even know what the dark side is? Anyone, absolutely, anyone can. Um, I mean, any... Any any trained force user who achieves a level of mastery is aware that the dark side exists as a concrete entity. The light side exists as a concrete entity. Um, now, when you consider their philosophy of of like personal mastery and power, the Keytail they don't promote light side or dark side view of the force. I mean, they're they're aware of both sides, but they actually say they believe that both sides must be used in concert. And and dangerous is the Drathos who lies to one extreme or the other. Um, either fully light or fully dark. Uh, in fact, bad things usually await such Drathos who decide to go the, either, to either one of those paths. So, mm. Keytail, who give themselves to the light side, Dave, um, they tend to have a real difficulty with the aggression and the xenophobia inherent in Drathos culture. I mean, does that make sense? When you, when you give yourself to the light side, you're about contemplation, understanding, acceptance. Right, you know I mean? and then all of a sudden that's in conflict with your very nature. With your very nature, what your clan life is. So such keytail that go that way are usually made outcasts immediately after questioning such things. Um, and they leave the world. Many outcast Rathos find solace in the wider galaxy, often as members of the Jedi Order. It's worth noting for you EU buffs out there, Master Odan Ur, who um, he, he was a Jedi Master and a Jedi Librarian during the height of the Galactic Republic. Um, he he was a hardcore. He preferred reading and studying rather than combat. Um, he he mastered battle meditation, um, and he was you know part of that really 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 old school Jedi. I mean, there, this dude had um, you know one of the one of the lightsabers that you know had the 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 cord and the belt power pack. It was you know we're talking that far long ago. You know what I'm saying? So you know what I'm saying. You know they're they're, they're out there um, and they've made excellent Jedi when they lean towards that path. Now. The opposite end of this, Keytail who give themselves to the dark side, who fall, um, are also considered highly dangerous. Mostly because you're striving for personal power above all else at that point. That's what the dark side's about. Uh, that means you've placed yourself over your clan. Precisely. You've placed yourself above the clan. You've placed yourself above the society, above the order. This is unacceptable for the Keytail. You have become incredibly dangerous. I'd say that that probably goes beyond just shunning them. No, they, uh, the, the Order will usually gather together and kill such a member swiftly if they feel he has fallen to the dark side. So, not good to be light, not good to be dark. Wow. It's, wow. it's a middle road they walk. It, it's a very, very middle road. They walk a lonely road? They walk a lonely road. It's, it's, some would say it's, it's the only road they've, they've ever known. Mm. They don't know where it goes, but... Um, don't know where it goes. It's only them, and they, they walk and they alone. They walk alone. That's right. Yeah. Okay, so talk to me about the abilities of the Keytail. I mean, we've talked about their philosophy and kind of what they believe and where they come from, what their practices and their trappings are. How does this relate to the Force abilities that they use and possess? Well, let's see. They're taught to use the Force in a manner that conceals it from others. So Duh. this really means that uh, they have to learn methods of activating Force powers without being discovered and enhancing the use of traditional weaponry without obvious effect. So the Drathos' long lives also make them very introspective, if you will. 
I can see that. That are very extremely reverent of the past. I can also see that. Yeah. And this attitude really has led the Kital to develop unique force abilities to glimpse history. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. So how do you become a Kital? Kital. Kital. I don't know. I, I kind of like Kital, but I don't know. I'm going. I'm leaning both both directions. Uh, right? I'm leaning both directions too. Um, now you realize when, when the way the Drathos pronounce it, it's probably like you know what the way they speak. That's so. right because they got it's probably just because they, they look like burn victims. That's all I'm saying. That's right. <laughs> um, so how do you become a Ketel? Uh, you know how can you learn their ways? Okay, now there, there is no written requirement for it, um, but but in practice, really only force sensitive Drathos can become Ketel. It's entirely possible for another being to learn their ways. Um, it's just highly improbable. <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, the Keytail Order, considering what we just learned about them, they, they would never approach an outsider, Force-sensitive or no, with their secrets. Right. Uh, to become a Keytail, you must be a Force-sensitive Drathos who also shares the values of his culture. You need to fear outside influence, glorify tradition and combat, and, and strive to remain underestimated um for a player who wishes to be a, a key tail off the world of thosa you could be an exile yourself maybe later taking levels in jedi you might also be a dark sider who managed to escape your execution squad yeah just throwing that out there um so there's there's some possibilities some options yeah so let's let's delve into the into the mechanics we actually have um the individual in chat right now who actually wrote these which is nice uh <laughs> Uh, the Keytail Talent Tree. Um, the Talent Tree for the Keytail Order consists of abilities which allow for, for subtle but highly powerful uses of the Force. So, oh. so hit me up with the, the first talent in the Keytail Talent Tree. All right. The first talent would be Conceal Force Use. Yeah, what a surprise there. Big, huge hmm. surprise. This is the keynote ability for the Keytail. You've mastered the use of the Force without accompanying gestures so common to using it, you know, which is often a necessary part of the mental exercise of calling on a Force power, mind you. You mean like like waving your hand when yeah. you say, these aren't the droids you're looking for? These or, aren't the droids you're looking for, or, or exactly. Like putting your or like putting your, or, yeah, exactly, with a Force thrust or whatever. The Force thrust, or, okay, got it, got yeah, it. Yeah, precisely, you know, so... You know, or, or waving at the X-Wing fighter with your two fingers while your eyes are closed, and you're like, uh... Yes. Uh, exactly. Yes. See, I'm right. pointing at the screen here. It's effect. <laughs> their their echo base is seeing. In fact, one somebody just said they got force slammed. I, I, didn't, <laughs> <laughs> I didn't mean to do it, I promise. Oh, that's funny. Okay, so... so mechanically, what does this play out as, though? All right, so uh, whenever you make a use of force check, you can make a deception check as a swift action to attempt the deception appearance use of the of the deception skill. So this usually requires many rounds to conceal the fact that you're a force user. So you can create deceptive appearance as a swift action in the same round that you make a use the force check. Mm-hmm. That's pretty awesome. <laughs> yeah, that's that's yeah, it is. If I don't say so myself. So that's all that's all good. That's very cool. Okay. <coughs> Excuse me. Oh boy. Oh, yeah. Hadn't gotten over that cough yet. No, no, no. No, I have not. So the next talent in this tree is Force Direction. Now, uh, Akitel prides himself in, of course, using the same traditional ranged weapons of his clan, 
but he, he has learned to use the force to enhance his ranged attacks in very subtle ways. Okay, great talent. Whenever you spend a force point to add to a ranged attack roll, you may choose to instead simply add plus three instead of actually rolling the die or a plus four if you're rolling d8s. So basically, you take a talent. When you're spending a force point on a ranged attack, you're going to get guaranteed a decent roll. You know, I don't know. Oh, God, I hope I get Oh, I won. No, no. You know what? I spend the force point plus three. There you go. Automatic. Automatic. That's what it is. It's that subtle use of the force. You know, that, that spending the force point is something even non-force sensitive can do. But you've, you've learned to, to use your mastery of the force and your inherent abilities to make it a concrete use. Again, it looks like something anybody could do. You know, hey, I guess I'm lucky, huh? But, you know, you're, you're being very concrete and, and static with it in terms of your intent. I, I, I like this a lot. It's very subtle. Very subtle. Very cool. Subtle. And so what's cool. next? Uh, this would be Force Momentum. No. Yeah, yeah, it is. Force Momentum. So this is similar to Force Direction. And uh, this talent allows you to, in a subtle way, <laughs> enhance melee attacks using the power of the Force. So, ah. you know, you just... You just used a point for a, a force point for a ranged attack. So now, whenever you roll a force point to add a may uh, to add to a melee attack roll, you also add it to the result of your damage roll. That's not bad. How about that for a traditionally uh, melee monsterish kind of guy like me? See, every time you spend a force point to add to your melee attack rolls, it's, oh, you know what? Oh, that roll also gets added to my damage as a kicker. That's not bad. No, not at all. It's not bad at all. Well, the last talent in the tree is, I really like it. Um, it's called Past Visions, and this is a really esoteric ability. It reflects that Drathos' obsession with history and tradition. Um, it has a prerequisite from the Sense talent tree, the Visions talent which itself has a prerequisite of force perception <laughs> and the far-seeing force power. Um, now, now, visions, the, the talent from the sense talent tree, what it does is when you, when you far-see a target, it lets you spend a force point to glimpse their past or their future, not just what they're doing right now. What past visions lets you do is expand on that ability even further. When you decide to search a target's past in this manner, one, you reduce all the DCs by half. So if you're trying to um, determine the childhood of that Sith Lord you just encountered, even though he's got a monstrous will defense, you're still probably going to be able to take a look at his childhood. <laughs> Visions. Of- <laughs> Thank you. Sorry. <laughs> just pop in the little visions there. See? Thank you. It all ties together. It all ties together. Visions. Um, so one, you reduce all the DCs by half. Two you gain a clear picture of the six-square area around the target when you're doing so, so you can usually see who he's with. And three, oh yeah, you don't have to spend a force point anymore to do it. <laughs> oh, yeah, that. So anytime you activate far-seeing with past visions and you want to look into the past of your target, it won't cost you anything extra. You're almost guaranteed to always be able to do it, and you can see everything that's going on around them. Nice. It, that's wicked. You're the ultimate historian. <laughs> I forgot where I left my car keys. Can you please help me? Give me a... Hold my hand. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, this morning. Yes. Yes. They're under the coffee table. (laughs) 
Oh, damn. Thank you. See, I love it. Yeah. I love it. Uh, it was it, it, it's a Odan Ur Jedi detective. <laughs> <laughs> oh, see, you crack yourself up. You really do. Odan Ur Jedi investigator. I love it. So right. the next logical question that you have, and I know you have out there mm. in mm. podcast land, is how do I play a key tail? Ah, so yeah, that's a good question. If the idea of playing a key tail intrigues you, there are several ways you can make a character of this type, playing to its strengths and its character needs, uh, as well as following suit with the traditions and style of the character's background. Um, there's also also several things for a GM to consider in designing a game for such a character, and some pretty heavy pitfalls you're going to want to watch out for. Yeah. So, dude, talk to me about becoming a proper key tail. I mean, for, for this Force tradition, I think there's a few good ways to get there and some things you definitely should do. Talk to right. me about, about some of the character choices you can make. All right, so let's talk about feats, for example. Mm-hmm. Um, you Force sensitivity, skill focus, use the Force, are pretty much a given. Yeah. Yeah, so, duh. Right. Um, force training probably be a good idea yeah if your focus is going to be on force powers right and uh, with a concealed force use talent you know you can be a terribly effective hidden force user what a great character to have during the the jedi purge or during um you know the even in the legacy era you know when when you're playing a force user that's being hunted you know what i mean right you know and you're, you're keeping that hidden and yeah it's great so you know that's when you yeah, as a combatant, you really need to decide whether or not you you want your your focus, uh, you know, you want to focus your efforts on melee or ranged combat. That's really yeah. what you have to choose. If you decide to go ranged, you need to pick up uh, the standard suite of ranged combat benefiting feats. You know, like uh, uh, point blank shot, precise shot, rapid shot, and uh, depending on your build, you can also focus on aiming. And uh, making feats like dead eye and careful shot highly useful, right? Cool, cool. Now, now, what if I want to be a melee combatant? Ah, melee combatants. They they kind of have a, a little bit of a leg up because Drathos get weapon proficiency advanced melee for free at first level. No, get out. Yeah. So this, I mean, feats like power attack and cleave and rapid strike, withdrawal strike. All make you a very, very worthwhile master of the blade, if you will. I like. You know, high dex character can also go the weapon finesse route, dude. So, you know, rely on that on that force momentum talent to augment their damage in, in lieu of the high strength bonus. I mean... That's a really good way to deal with that lack of a strength bonus to damage for your yeah. weapon finesser. Right. Not bad. Yeah. Okay. So um, here you've got the scout and soldier classes that are both excellent choices. And uh, the ranged combatant always obviously benefits heavily from scout. Uh, the skills of survival and stealth fit naturally into hunting traditions of the Drathos. And, and the anonymous goals of the key tail, as do the awareness and camouflage talent trees as well, you know? Yeah, yeah. Soldier's a solid choice for either ranged or melee, uh, but of course it's going to offer you the brawler, the commando, the weapon specialist talent trees, you know, uh, very you know, very appropriate to the type of combatant that you want to make, either way. They can choose accordingly. Exactly. 
Um, Force talents. Probably a wise choice, I would guess. I would I would just guess if you're going to be a Force user, right? To enhance probably. your hidden Force powers? Probably, yeah. Yeah. So the sense talent tree, specifically Force perception and visions, is also very fitting to the culture of the key tale. Not to mention, uh, of course, being a requirement for the ultra-cool past visions talent, exclusive to Keytail. Right. So, um, what else? Uh, force Harmony. Ooh, force yeah. Force Harmony probably help you deal with um, with those uh, expended force points. Yeah, you're going to be spending force points like mad, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, damage reduction, I think, would, would add a nice defensive kicker to a character that is uh, living in a culture that doesn't use lightsabers. Oh, yeah. DR10 means something again. Imagine that. Oh, I like it. Okay, okay. Yeah. So, um, if if you look at Draythos' culture, interesting, interestingly enough, no or very few scoundrels and nobles exist. That makes sense. Consequently, in the Keytail, obviously, there are even fewer. But because... The emphasis on communication here is is the is the really the at odds characteristics, right? Most Drathos are driven away from noble, for that reason, yeah. You know, yeah. I mean, obviously, you're not going to be talking. That's that's the whole point. You're an introvert, and you're also so driven by honor that the scoundrel's ability really don't play into that whole honorable combat. That's true. This is kind of a, a burden a little bit for the player, too, because um, that conceal force use talent requires a deception check. Well, there's only two classes that have deception available to them. Scoundrel. Um, nope. Yeah. So that, that's kind of a hurdle to overcome. You know, but level dip. Maybe, a, maybe a level dip. Maybe yeah. to get it, but I, I would have a hard time. I agree with you, dude. I'd have a hard time seeing a key tail go full noble or full scoundrel. Yeah, I, I don't think that could happen. I mean, it could, but you'd have a really good. Yeah. Just so okay. Well, what about when I advance in levels? When I get to the prestige class area, what do I want to think about? You know, I, I think this is tailor made for force disciple. So you know, maybe go force adept, and then ultimately wind up force disciple. Absolutely. Um, you know, your force point recovery should be at the top of your list as far as techniques that you're going to learn. Yeah. And um, because your your key tail talents, you know, like you said it before, you're going to be spending force points like mad. Yeah. So um, next, you're going to attune your weapon, and you're going to empower your weapon. Yeah. That, that seems a natural fit. Absolutely it does. That that is just that just goes along with the key tail style there. And... I would say uh, uh, an interesting choice here would be the uh, telepath talent tree. This is out of the Jedi Academy training manual. Huh. Building on that natural telepathic ability, I think, is fitting and sensible if you're going to be a Drathos. Oh, I, I, I like. Yeah. And uh, finally, I, you know, those those force points, you know, really drive... Toward the mystic mastery talent. Mm, more. Yeah. More so, force points. Yeah. And so, you know, you just, you need more force points, bottom line. But, you know. And you're going to have a lot of force talents, so mystic mastery is a yeah. fit. It is. Okay. You know, you know, but build how you like and, and uh, consider that as well. 
I like this. This is good advice. So let's let's wrap up with some of the pitfalls of the key tail. Let's talk about some of the problems that can crop up from from being a key tail or or GMing one. Um, from the player side of things, you know, as a player, you do face an, a couple obvious challenges off the bat. Um, the primary one being, what on earth are you doing off your home world? Bah. <laughs> You're playing a character that is very old in comparison to other races, very traditional, and hates, hates other races. As a key tale, you embody the traditions of your people. So what in the maker's name? Are you doing gallivanting off in the galaxy? Maybe you're an exile or a runaway. You got you're a little too much light or a little too much dark in you. You know what I'm saying? Yep. But if you're a light side devotee, then why aren't you a Jedi instead of a Keytail? And if you're a dark side devotee, you're probably not going to remain a PC for too very much longer. No. <laughs> um, so I, I think a solid backstory is essential to answering this question and this, this quandary as is working with your GM. Um, explaining the reason for a, a GM, for, for, for a key tail to be off-world, a true key tail, not an exile or a runaway, but a true key tail to be off-world, that's going to take some doing. Um, another concern is you eat force points. You eat them with your funky burn victim mouth. Oh, that's not nice. Uh, <laughs> You know, half of the Keytail talents require a Force Point to be used, so find a way to deal with that. If that means Force Boon, Force Harmony, Dave, as you point out, Mystic Mastery, whatever. But it will provide a definite secondary direction to your character's advancement, so that is something to consider in your build. Cool. From, from the GM side of the screen, um, the pitfalls. GMing a Keytail, I mean, it presents some of the same problems for the GM, really, that it does for the player. It just affects the GM a lot differently. As a GM, you're going to have to answer the unusual question of why you got a key tail running around the galaxy. And if you've got a player who's devoted to making this character, you might need to be prepared to brand and break Star Wars canon. Dum dum dum. Oh, no. Just throwing that out there. Ugh. You know, but maybe maybe not. In a, in a legacy setting, this might be a lot easier. You know, maybe maybe the Vong decimated planet Thosa. And all the Drathos are exiled, okay? Um, but honestly, we see Drathos most commonly in the days of the older public. So that's where you're most commonly going to see them. Try, as a GM, to resist the urge to let a non-Drathos have access to Keytail abilities. Yeah, it might be neat if your player writes you some cool backstory explaining how he was, uh, was marooned on Thosa when he was four years old and raised by Thosian wolves and <laughs> managed to, to win the respect of some Ketal elder who taught him his secrets or some such. But really, 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 in all likelihood, this is never going to happen. The thin line between letting your players be unique heroes and letting them get away with bloody murder is none more apparent than in the Ketal force tradition. And that's very hard to do. Yep. So it is that. And if your player whines and moans, just say, dude, just become a Jedi Master or a Force Disciple or, you know. Yeah. And you can take these talents without the prerequisites. And there you go. <laughs> so that is the key tale, boys and girls. If you got the urge to make a, uh, a light side, dark side, agnostic, um, secretive, xenophobic, 
blue-gray burn victim <laughs> of a force user. No, my. They are up your alley. My word. <laughs> this is a really fun tradition, though. I really, I really like it. Um, I think the talents were written extremely well. It's one of those instances where I read the talents and I, I, re- I read about the Drathos, I read about the Keytail, I read the talents, and I'm like, huh, somebody put some real thought into this. This is, uh, this, this is, this is well done. Es muy bueno. Es muy bueno. Yes. Precisely. Mm-hmm. It's a bummer. Sad and a music. Tis the end of the show. Truly speaking. Thank you all for your questions and uh, everything else you contributed. Uh, big thanks, of course, to Fat Wreck and Tour and Darth GM. Their segments. And um, send us questions, guys, and send us uh, liners. We haven't gotten any uh, I Never Listened to the Order 66 uh, liners in a couple episodes. Yeah, it's been a while. It's been a little while. So uh, send them to us at the loose line, 206-600-5872. Yep. Recorded and email it to us. Email us your questions. What, what, what are those emails again, Dave? GM Dave at d20radio.com. GM Chris at d20radio.com. Head to the forums, d20radio.com slash forums. And follow us on Twitter. I'm at GM Chris. I'm at GM Dave. Learn about all the news you need to know for the Order 66 podcast, including when we're going to be doing new episodes. <laughs> oh, yes, that's one of our most effective manners of communicating that out. And drop us a review on iTunes, please. That would be greatness if you did. Absolutely. Yep. And, uh, you know, so... It's there. Remember, guys, if you're going to be in the DFW area on February 5th, join us at the Reaper store in Denton, Texas for D20 Minicon. That's two weeks from now. Two weeks from yesterday. Yep. Just saying. Thank you all again, guys. This is GM Chris wishing you peace, love, and good gaming. And keep them dice rolling. D20 Radio, where gamers roll. Rolling. www.d20radio.com. This podcast and related websites are not endorsed by Lucasfilm Limited, 20th Century Fox, or Wizards of the Coast, and are intended for entertainment and informational purposes only. The official Star Wars site can be found at StarWars.com. The official Wizards of the Coast site can be found at Wizards.com. Star Wars, the Star Wars logo, D20 logo, D20 system references, all named pictures of Star Wars characters, vehicles, and any other Star Wars related items are registered trademarks and or copyrights of Lucasfilm Limited, Wizards of the Coast, or their respective trademark and copyright holders. All original content of this podcast and related website, including graphical, sexual, audio, and visual information in the intellectual property of the Order 66 podcast. Post-show? Almost in um, homage to the Green Bay Packers, who punched their ticket to the Super Bowl today. They play the post-show music. Of course, Todd Rundgren banged the drum all day. Indeed, indeed. Indeed. So uh, the Jets made a game of it at the end, but uh, ultimately the Steelers did beat them. Yeah, they, they came back pretty pretty hardcore. I mean, they they you know 
Yeah. What it's a five point win. That's not that's not a lot. And from what the chat room is saying that the Jets had a real opportunity to win. Mm, but they blew it. They did. Like but. so much party balloon. Yep, indeed. So, um, you know, this weekend, I, I have to, uh, I have to say that I took a couple of half days off work, and uh, Saturday all day, and to volunteer my time for the Louisville Independent School District, which, of course, my daughter goes to school within. And, um, yes, I had a great time uh, with my first announcing gig, which was really kind of cool. Anyway, um, for those of you that follow my Twitter or Facebook or whatever, those of you know already that um, that I've gotten uh, a neat little gig as the stadium PA public address voice for Louisville High School, which is where my daughter goes to work, goes to, goes to work, goes to school. Okay. And um, so we had our first uh, major event there, which is a three-day soccer tournament for the uh, girls' varsity soccer team, and it uh, it was a blast to uh, to do that. And I also was coordinated the volunteer effort as well because you know you're sitting up there and you're not really announcing a whole lot during the game, but um, no, not really. No. You know, just kind of getting volunteers to the right place and all that, and taking a five or six minutes out to do announcements here and there and whatever and whatever. But uh, it is, um, I don't know, man. It was really, it was fun to, you know how those announcers, you know, you, you do your God voice, right? I'll turn down the music so you can do your God voice from your Manny Moda thing. Uh, God voice. Well, okay, there's, there's the echo, which is like, you're now pitching Manny Mota. Or, or there's, there's the halls. Of course. It's Dave, it's God. <laughs> of course, nothing beats it in person, you know, actually being the dude on the, and listening to it reverberate. So, um, I, did some fun stuff, you know, music for the kids while they were warming up and all that. And and at yeah. one point, I saw the soccer players down there dancing as they were warm. They were like warming up, but dancing at the same time with the music. And that's where we. That's where I knew that we'd hit a home run. Awesome. And um, yeah, it was it was just, <laughs> it was really good. And here I'll I'll tell you what I tell you what um, what I did that got the biggest reaction is uh, during one of the games, a girl mouthed off to the referee. Ooh. It happens, right? This girl apparently dropped the F-bomb on the referee. Ooh. Red card. The, effort, the, the referee turned around and gave, he, he like gives a signal to tell us to stop the clock, but make, basically makes a big X on his, on his arms. And um, he, he turns around to stop the clock, and, and my immediate reaction is, uh-oh, something is about to happen, because you, you can't hear in the press box. Right. Except when the big, you know, the big things happen, you can kind of hear through that big old glass. But, yeah, the referee, the referee turns around, stops the clock, turns around, goes to his back pocket, red card. Bam. Just like that. Coach starts screaming, you know. Obviously, he didn't hear it. And, um... And that's boom. That's it. So yeah, 
stop the clock, red card. And then not even 30 seconds later, I decide to play this. Now go stand in the corner and think about what you did. <laughs> I play that over the entire over the PA and then announce, you know, red card issued to number seven or whoever it was. I don't remember her name, but it was number seven. And um, I just saw all these parents turn around, and some of them are just doubled over in the stands laughing. And this, of course, is the side closest to me of the the playing against the side that got the red card. So I couldn't see the reactions of the other people on the side that actually got the red card. Oh. <laughs> these are these are just the people playing against that team. So the you know the stands are you know three or four people that I noticed immediately just look up at the press box, and some of them are just laughing their butts off. And uh, the girl, um, the girls on the team, uh, our team, Louisville, uh, that's all they could talk about after the game. We're like, oh, my God, that was so hilarious when you did that. And, and okay, so to answer the chat room, not, not exactly the most professional thing to do. <clears throat> all right, it's, this is very, very acceptable in the PA business, apparently, to play, uh, if you're the home team, to play things that ridicule what other what the visiting team does badly. So it, it is extremely common when you go to any sporting event in Texas anyway. If somebody gets thrown out of the game, they play the song, Hit the Road, Jack, and Don't yeah. Come Back. No I mean, more, at, no at more. professional events, not, not just school events, at professional events, they do stuff like that. Right. I mean, it's like the, 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 the announcer is al- almost plays the role of the medieval jester in terms of you know, there's a code of conduct that both sides have to follow, but you are allowed to openly mock and ridicule that conduct for the purposes of humor to illustrate the point. Yeah. Um, anyway. I like it. Yeah. This, <laughs> yeah, Americans aren't good sports. Exactly. Yeah. But, you know, the good news is we don't tear down our stadiums and set fire to them when our team loses either. Old school. <laughs> Did he go there? He went there. Uh, yeah, exactly. Yes, he did. He <laughs> went there. Oh, dear. Oh, dear. Anyway, to the... Uh, yeah. Oh, hey. Donovan Morningfire is leaving. Later, Dono. And, uh... Jonathan Stevens, ladies and gentlemen. Jonathan uh, Stevens. He'll be here all week. He'll be here all week. No, literally. He will be here all, all, all week. <laughs> right. <laughs> Trolling the forum like a wombat on sugar high. Yeah. See, old school retorts by saying not only do they do that, but then they sell the pieces of it uh, as local markets. Oh, very nice. (laughs) It's it's cool. But anyway, yeah. So much success. Now, uh, unfortunately, my daughter's soccer team lost 1-0 in the game that would have put them into the final. And uh, and they lost in such a way that I'm sure their coach will use it as uh, as a learning opportunity. A motivational experience. Yes, indeed, because they just they got caught with their pants down because, um, you know, they just did. It's one of these deals that um, that uh, in soccer teams typically try and set up a play when they get a foul within twenty yards of, of the goal, and um, our girls assumed that they were going to set up a play, and they turned their backs on the player that got fouled. And what happened? The player got up and kicked the ball in the net, which is perfectly legal to do. As long as the referee has not stopped play to set up the yeah. wall. So, see, Dom is in the chat being being a smart smart arse. He says, uh, when after you said, um, you know, they got caught with their pants down. He says, well, I'll teach them not to take their pants off in the middle of the field. <laughs> see, yeah, and there you go. 
Well, dude, I'm glad it was good. That's awesome. Yeah, it was fun, but uh, you that, know, that's awesome. It was also very tiring trying to coordinate the entire event. Yeah. But uh, dude, I am so excited about Saturday the fifth. I can barely stand it. Yeah, I I am too. I uh, all I really, really, really want to do in my life is uh, play games like uh, that I haven't been able to play in a while, like uh, Ticket to Ride, for example. Oh, yes, is one yes. you know I absolutely love to play that game. Pa- pa- Power Grid. Power Grid is another I haven't been able to play in. I think I've played it exactly once in my life, and that was the one time that you. You know, that was like my birthday a year or two ago. I don't remember got, when it was. We got, we got to play it. Pandemic is another one. I've played that one quite a bit, actually, because my wife actually likes to play Pandemic. As crazy as that is, she doesn't like to play a lot of these nerdy games, as she calls them, but Pandemic, she she got behind. She can she understands that game. Like Likewise, my brother does as well, which is really bizarre because he doesn't like anything related to gaming, usually. Yeah. But um, to him, it was more of a problem-solving game, not necessarily a, a board game. Wow. You know, so... Um, oh. Well, Pandemic's just an awesome game, but I, I want to play board games like Mad. I got Kingsburg for Christmas. I haven't even opened it yet. I haven't played it. Um, really want to play that. Yep. Brev, Brev got this crazy game at New Year's that we played New Year's Eve called Dixit. That doesn't sound right at all. Yeah, I know. It's a European game. It's D-I-X-I-T. And have you ever, you ever played Apples to Apples? Of course. So you're familiar with the mechanic where one person is the judge and the other players put down an answer and the judge determines which is, you know, which is theirs? Yeah. It, it, it's it's kind of similar to that. In, in So it's a, it's a deck of cards, a, a big, fat deck of cards. And the cards all have clever, unusual, and ambiguous illustrations on them. Oh, weird ones. Full color, look like little paintings. Everyone gets a hand of cards, and when it's your turn to be the judge, you put your hand down, or no, you, you excuse me, you, you, you pick one card out of your hand, and you say a phrase that, that tells the story of that picture, okay? Uh, like, worst day of my life, or um, true love, or you know something like that, you know what I'm saying? And okay. you put the card face down. Well, everyone else picks a card out of their hand that they think matches what you said, and they put it down. Then all the cards go face up, and everyone but the the person who made up the story um, votes on which one they think is the storytellers. And if everyone picks your card, you get no points, and they get points because you made it too obvious. If no one picks your card, they get points, and you get no points because you made it too difficult. You know, you want some people to pick yours and some people to pick another person's, you know what I mean? And it sounds weird, but it was so much fun. I, it's hard to describe, but it was awesome. Sounds like uh, Inkblot, the board game. Yeah. It was, it was really great. Um, I'm anxious to play that. Um, I will be bringing Murder on the Executor, which is a, a, the, one of the level one uh, pre-gen modules. Uh, the last one WotC released uh, for Gen Con two years ago. Um. And it, you can run it in like three hours, two, even less sometimes, because it's a level one module. It's very quick, very quick. And it's, it's uh, really cool. It's, it's all the players are human Imperial officers on board the Executor, Darth Vader's flagship, um, right after the Battle on Hoth. <laughs> yep. And there's a murder on board, and Vader tasks your team with solving it. 
Uh, it's a murder mystery. It's great. It's very well done. And there's a wonderful ending that players really have some choice and some options. A great mod. Um, I'll be bringing that. Brev said he was going to pen an original first uh, level module for the day if anyone wanted to play. I talked to Tim uh, at RFH because they're going to be there. And he said he really wanted to run Dresden files for anyone who wanted to play. Um, and, of course, I'm bringing Aug. So it's going to be great, dude. Yeah. And somewhere in there, we want to try and fit in a live broadcast of the podcast. Yeah, that would be nice. <laughs> Maybe an hour, hour and a half, two yeah, hours, four. Something. I don't know. I don't know. And Brev also wanted to run minis, too, because the V-sets are out. So he wanted to run uh, some minis games with the V-sets. Nice. And I'm like, oh, too many games. Too little time. No. Yeah, I mean, we could have, like, we could have, this could be a weekend of gaming. God, yeah, it really could. Yeah. So, and, and old school is going to be in town, uh, all the way from Glasgow. I'm, I'm so stoked. What a great weekend it's going to be. Yeah. So. I wish I didn't have to fly out on Sunday. That would... Yeah. That has totally put my whole weekend into suck mode. I know. Where are you going, can you say? Yeah, I'm going to Washington, D.C. Oh, okay. Um. <sighs> yeah. So Ooh. My wife was pissed. She was trying to put together a surprise birthday party for me on Sunday. Yeah. You know, if you're going to D.C., you should hook up with Dom. I should? He's, up, he's in Baltimore, yeah. And he works, I think he works in D.C. Really? I am. Uh, I'll be actually on the Virginia side in um, McLean. Yup, dude, dude. Yeah, I really. Uh, yeah, Dom, send me an email. I can't do anything during the day, but um, in the evening, usually it's um, it's free. Cool. So yeah. So in, in the few minutes we have left, um, do you wanna do you wanna do some more ask the hosts? Hey, yeah, sure, why not? We got a few. Um obviously uh on the uh, order sixty six boards at d twenty radio.com slash forums, we have a sticky thread for ask the hosts. People who want to ask us random questions, uh they certainly can, just about anything they like. And um uh, several questions. We we asked a couple last time from Scoundrel1978, but he continues. Um, what is your favorite Star Wars video game of all time, uh, pre the Old Republic? <laughs> um, well, I mean, this is easy. It's, uh, oh, wait. Dang it. I was going to say Force Unleashed 2. 2? Oh, we haven't talked about the Force Unleashed two yet. So, um, but I, I might have to pimp slap you for saying that, though. I might have to go back and say X Wing versus Tie Fighter. That was a great game, you know. And that is, I'm gonna have to go back old school, way back, and say that that was that made an imp- that that would made an impact. You guys screaming Kotor in the chat room, shut up! That was a terrible freaking game. You're you're a terrible freaking game. Kotor ruled. You just need to replay it, you hoser. I did, and I hated it just as much the second time. The original dude, what's wrong with you? I don't know. I don't know. And this is what worries me most about the new MMO. 
is that freaking wheel to decide what you're going to say annoyed the crap out of me. That's brilliant. That's what's Bioware staple. They've done that in Mass Effect and 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 Dragon Age and everything. That's 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 one of the best things about the game. Hated it. Hated it. And oh yeah, hated it. You are insane. Well, and it also means that my time with uh, Star Wars: The Old Republic may be very short lived. Oh, dude, n- no, no. Oh, you no. If you let that decide a game for you, one. We need to have a deep, long talk. Maybe. Two, that was awesome. How can you not like that? I don't know. Oh, dude. Uh, yeah, we'll see. Okay, but, yeah. well, for me, it's got to be a tie between the original KOTOR and The Force Unleashed. One, not two. Sam, I love you. I didn't care for two. <laughs> Although I know you probably didn't have a whole lot to do with that. Um, well, Force Unleashed one was fun, too, you know? It was a great game. It was phenomenal. Two was far too short. It was repetitive. And um, it was far too short, and it was yeah, repetitive. <laughs> yeah, two was short. You're right. Um, and the story was not developed. I think I think they rushed to make it. I think that's what the deal was. But Force Unleashed won. God, I mean, it won awards for the story. It was so amazing. I mean, it added to Star Wars canon in a meaningful way that so many published books have failed to do in such a fashion. Um, the gameplay was fantastic. It was original. It was fresh. It was exotic. Um, great game. And KOTOR was KOTOR. That was, for most of us, that was our first glimpse into that era. Yeah. And it defined an era. It was greatness. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I loved everything you hated about it. So I'm, mm, mm, I love it. I, I, I loved it. So there. Uh, so there. So, okay, so Scoundrel 1978 continues. Uh, do you think about something Star Wars related every single day, even if only for a brief moment? Hell yes. I would agree with that answer. I mean, everything can be related to Star Wars in one way, shape, or form. Well, not everything, but a lot of things. So, I mean, yeah, I agree. every time I go to a bar... My wife or whatever, you know, we go to, you know, we go to a club or whatever, see a band. Every single time, I can't help it. You don't need to see her identification. <laughs> and I wave my freaking hand. Sometimes it works. Most times it doesn't. Every time I get into a, a snippety snip with my wife, you know, we, we always look at each other and I go, you best watch yourself. <laughs> I don't like you. He doesn't like you either. <laughs> you know, it's it just, yeah, every day, every moment, for every second, yeah, multiple times a day. You can't get around it. Nope. Okay, Darth GM wants to know, if given the chance, what is the next Saga Edition character you'd like to play? Race, classes, highlight talents, if maybe. You know, what, what concept character have you always wanted to try to play, but, you know, maybe it might be impractical for one reason or another? Oh man, way too deep. But I will say, I will suffice to say this. I would like to play a somewhat primitive mm-hmm. um I, I don't even know what I don't even know what the Primitive yet, you know, kind of, kind of like your Ewok Tebow, right? Yeah. But I want him to be 
like this badass sniper. <laughs> okay. But it, you know, so it, it's going to be a little bit at odds, having to having to use technology and, and whatnot with the with the being a sniper. But um, I, I suspect that it's going to be more of a he had to develop these skills to hunt. Yeah, and, I do um, no, totally. Yeah, and and go go that route. But I mean, a social outcast, just one of these that you know walks into some kind of a technological facility and just starts punching buttons because that they're there, and. Um, you can make an Ewok with a bow. Theoretically, yeah. You know, or, or you know, Ewok to me, I, I you know, I don't know about an Ewok, but something, something else that, um, uh, you know, either that or a droid. Okay, it'd be kind of cool to play a uh, a droid that just doesn't like people. I like this. <coughs> I like it a lot. I, you should play a droid. That would be a lot of fun, man. Yeah. You know, we've just gone through all the degrees of droid. I mean, what what spoke to you of all the stuff we've talked about from a droid perspective? Um, the astromech. Because I could really get stupid with that. Yeah. And and then equip it, equip it. You know, get independent droid and all that, and and you know where you can actually kill people, sort of. <laughs> yeah. But you know that. I could I would get into trouble with that I think because I would be the bastard of the party as the droid because I could be you know Yeah th- that would be that would be difficult Dave I mean on a lot of levels but I mean I know if if you if you did it right you know what I mean Yeah no it would be it would be um you know there goes the droid off on his own you know not actually being a disrespectful or mean or whatever to his own to his own party just again playing that character that has a tendency to throw a wrench in things every once in a while right hmm I like this you uh, there's a few there's a few concepts I've been kind of throwing around um, currently there is, I want to play a force user, maybe a Jedi, maybe a scoundrel, but I, I want the individual to have no communication, c- communication abilities. I want them to be very socially awkward and, and really be very shy and very much an introvert. I want to make a seer, someone who is far seeing all the way and all the cool things you can do with it. Um, someone who's afraid to use a weapon. Doesn't carry one. Not even a lifesaver? No. Nothing. So how might such a character be even remotely useful in an encounter, you might ask? Oh, no. You can you can unarmed, your unarmed strike and all that. No, no, no. No, 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 no. No, no, no attacks. This individual will never attack anyone. Oh. No offensive force powers, even. Um, basically I would load them up on several uses of far seeing and there's this talent, um, in the sense talent tree, um, it has force perception as a prereq. It's called motion of the future. And what you do is on your turn, you can spend a swift action and, uh, expend one of your far seeing powers to force any attacker in your line of sight before the end of your next turn 
to re-roll their attack roll and take the second result. Huh. You with me? Yeah, I'm with you. In addition, there's a force power. I'm trying to remember the name of it. It's not prescience. Um, um, it, basically, you, you can expend... Um, it's a force power. It's a swift action, but you, you make a use the force check, and you give that use the force check to one of your allies as you deem fit before the start of your next turn, either replacing one of their defense scores with your use the force check or replacing one of their attack rolls with your use the force check. So the idea being you get this glimpse of the future. You know what I mean? Right. Um, Enlighten. That's what it is. Enlighten. Okay. You replace a target's attack roll, skill check, or oppose check, or defense score with your use the force check. It's also a swift action. So this dude basically would, in combat, would spend their standard action every single round using the total full defensive action. And I'd train them in acrobatics, either with through Jedi or Scoundrel, giving them a plus 10 to their reflex defense. So the guy would be very, very, very hard to hit, and I'd probably make him jump and cover anyway. And he would spend his standard action each round doing that, and then he would spend swifts using Enlighten and Motion of the Future to basically buff his allies to high heck and force his enemies to reroll attacks. <laughs> so, you know, okay, I get I, you. the idea of the seer that has flashes of the future and uses them to, to aid his allies, I just, I'm really in love with this concept. So. Okay. I don't know. It's unusual. So there you go. Either that or a Death of Mary Witch. <laughs> with a rancor with a rancor yeah <laughs> oh man um okay shadow we got a few minutes left before i gotta call it so a couple more questions um shadow dragon had a bunch i'm only gonna ask a couple um favorite species favorite class oh man i mean Favorite class has to be oh, dang it. I probably have to say the soldier. For you, yeah. You know, as much as I like the Jedi, Jedi to me are just overplayed. I don't do good with the whole talking thing, so noble just isn't for me. Scoundrel's pretty cool, but I haven't really played a Scoundrel all that much. Well, if and, you're going to make uh, an R2 unit, Scoundrel's the way to go. Yeah, the Scout. Yeah. You know, so that leads me to Soldier, which I, I tend to gravitate toward uh, things that hit and shoot. So, um, yeah, Scoundrel. And uh, my favorite, um, hmm, favorite species, huh? Favorite species. Wow. I uh I really don't know. I uh they're at odds with the whole soldier thing, but uh I dig Mon Calamaris. I uh, they're not at odds. Mon Cal soldier would be awesome and you should roll one up. <laughs> it's a trap. Yeah, it's a trap. You could you could you could you could take all the ambush specialist talent trees. <laughs> 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 take all the ambushing talents. And then as he jumps out, oh, it's a trap! Ah! Yep. <laughs> oh, yeah. Love it. Love it. Um, as for me, 
I would probably have to say my favorite class far and away is the noble. Um, I've said that multiple times for many reasons. Favorite race, man. I don't know. My favorite race is honestly at odds with noble. It's Ewok. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. I love making Ewoks. I love, I love Ewoks. I love them to death. Um, I'd like to make a, ch- I like weird little races. I'd like to make a Chadra fan. I'd like to make a, um, um, squib. <laughs> I love to make squib. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, that's kind of where I sit. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so, yeah. Uh, if, if, if you guys are surprised that I did not pick Wookiee, you know, just be surprised. I'm surprised. Okay. The Hov wants to know. Two questions. One, who is your favorite non-Order 66 host on the network? And two, why is it me? <laughs> the Hob, huh? Wow. Well, I don't know if it's the Hob anymore now that um, now that City of Doors has closed its doors. That, that's an oddly self-serving question, especially considering the fact that they closed their doors. Of course, um, it was written some time ago. <laughs> man, you know, I, I don't know that I can even begin to answer this question. I really, I really don't. I mean, we have a lot of great hosts on this network. I would agree. And we have a lot of good shows on this network. And um, for me to pick a favorite would be doing a disservice to all the rest of them. I would agree. <laughs> yeah, I really don't know. I actually thought about that. You know, when, when I read this question, I said, you know, I'm not going to say that on the air. How mean. And then as I was actually thinking about it, I'm like, God, I don't know who my favorite is. I got, they're all great. Why, why, uh. <laughs> yeah, I know. So, I mean, if you'd asked me three months ago, I would have said, well, it's got to be either my uh, co-host GM Chris or my other co-host Fiddleback. Yeah. Right? Because, you know, co-hosting, right? But that's, that's the obvious choice. So, But, you know, I, I don't. I uh, I enjoy... A lot of our shows, and, but I'm not going to pick a favorite host. I'm not going to pick a favorite host. I'm not going to pick a favorite show. I listen to them all, and they all rocketh. Right. Just saying. All right. Uh, last question. Last question. From Scousa. If you could tell Uncle George what to do in the live-action Star Wars television series that is being planned... What would you tell him? What would be the focus? And which known characters would you like to see? <laughs> well, being that I don't know much about it, I don't I have no idea how on earth he could bring this back. But I would want to see either the actual character or a descendant or predescendant thereof, Lobaka. Love it. I want to see a Wookiee Jedi Master. That would be very cool and unusual. Yeah. I was watching a making of The Force Unleashed, the first video game, and the original concept they had was that it wasn't about Starkiller or any of that. The hero was going to be a Wookiee. Dude. And they took it to George, and he said, okay, so you got a main character that doesn't speak. Right. <laughs> so, yeah. 
So what's well, worse? What's worse? A guy that has to have everything translated or Jar Jar? Oh, that's a tough call, man. That's a tough call. Plus, I understand Uncle George has a problem with Wookiee Jedi. Well, you know, whatever. Hmm. Well, um, if it were me, I would tell him to go for the Dark Times era. I think it is the best era to have a show in. Um, you could serialize it very easily. Um, so pre-episode four, basically. And I don't think you should bring in any characters from the films. I, I really don't. Um, I, I think that would be foolish um, and, and non-necessary. It needs to be a new piece of established canon. If you're going to bring in any character, bring in Starkiller. <laughs> that's my recommendation. So that's what I would tell Uncle George. Hmm. So there we go. Nice. Okay. Yeah. Sounds good to me. Yeah, yeah. I think it'd be a heck of a deal to have um, a um, reality TV series on Naboo. Really? <laughs> Real Housewives of Naboo? Yeah, that'd be pretty cool, actually. You got these two, two humans and the one Gungan. Oh, Misa tell her she's gonna be talking to me this way. Misa gonna slap her. Oh God! Yeah. Please stop! Please stop! Please stop now! Oh, and on that note, I'm spent. <laughs> so am I. That's an ender. That's an ender. Good night, gamer nation, and good luck. Yeah, what he said.